morning, I'm having you guys turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, and the title of this morning is Unlike Anything Else. And we're going to be talking about holiness this morning. And I don't know what you guys think of when you think of the word holy, but I, I think of all sorts of things. Many times, things that kind of become uh, a little unhelpful, right? Um, like sometimes when I think about the word holy, I think about like the angelic, like, oh, you know, like when you're in middle school and your crush walks through the doors, right? Oh, like the heavens have parted. Oh, she's so beautiful, right? I know you guys relate to me. Um, sometimes I think about the word holy and I think about it's like a negative way to describe somebody. Like, you know, they're so holy. They're so high and mighty. Like, look at Nick Saban coaching Alabama. Look at how he thinks he's so holy, right? Anybody? Yeah? No OU fans in the room? Okay, that's cool. Uh, we figured out last, last, last service as well. There's not many sports fans apparently that attend our church, but that's okay. Uh, anyway, uh, sometimes when I think about holy, I think about holy water, right? This magical, miraculous substance that heals anything when you apparently throw it on somebody, right? Yeah, this is something only spiritual, really highly spiritual people know about, apparently. What about, uh, sometimes I think about the Pope, and I just think about his holy apparel, right? At the Vatican, walking out on the balcony, wearing this interesting garb and headpiece and everything else, right? <laughs> Once again, right? Holy, like that, when I think of the word holy, like, I think about those things. I don't know about you, but, like, my mind gets lost. The word kind of gets lost in translation. But how many of you guys know that words that represent beautiful things many times get lost in translation? I think about the word marriage. I think about the beautiful covenant that God has designed between two people and how it's lost its beauty and it's been lost in translation just because we are a country and we are a people that is many times riddled with this hurtful, painful process that sometimes people endure called divorce, Right? does not necessarily mean that beautiful is, or marriage is not beautiful, but many times the word itself loses itself through cultural transition and what people experience. So we're going to be looking at this topic and this word holy this morning, and my prayer is that we would desire to be a people that are holy, right? But what does it look like? Because if we're going to base it off of the definitions that I gave you earlier that I think of, you're going to be like, I don't want anything to do with that holy thing. You know what I mean? It's like, why would I want that holy thing? In my life. So we're going to really dive deep this morning into what it means to be holy and what that means in biblical terms and how the Bible would define it. So the word holy, let's talk about this. It's, it's the, the same word that God in the Bible uses to describe himself. It comes from the Hebrew word, word kadosh. Can you say kadosh with me? Kadosh. Kadosh, yes. Okay, we got some Hebrew scholars in the room this morning. That's awesome. Okay, so the word, that word kadosh, the way it is defined is this. Sacred, holy, holy one, saint, set apart, pure, clean, free from defilement of crimes, idolatry, and other unclean and profane things. So in other words, the word holy can be defined as this, completely unlike anything else. Completely unlike anything else. I think about the word holy, and I think about my childhood, and I'd say there's like three, kind of like growing up through adolescence, there's like three things that when I think about, they're like completely unlike anything else I, I can't get away from. For instance, like, I can't get away from, in 1993, my family took, their, uh, took a vacation from my first re recollection to a place that was unlike anything else, a place, a theme park in California called Disneyland. Come on, somebody. Any Disney fans in the house? Yep. 
Zero. Okay, cool. I'm the only one. Well, I'm passionate about it, and if you've never been, then that's why, because you go to this park, and it's unlike anything else. Like, here's the deal. You know, you got Six Flags. You got all these other theme park companies that are trying to do a good thing, but you walk in, and it's like the themes. It's, come on, Disney. It doesn't even hold a candle. Like, Disney on the themes, on the, uh, what do they call their engineers? Like, Imagineers or whatever. Like, it's just amazing. You know what I'm saying? Like, these people are the, the, the cream of the crop in creativity, completely unlike anything else. This place was all you know what I'm saying? The Magic Kingdom. I think about in, in 1996, Christmas morning, when I'm opening my gifts and I receive something that's unlike anything I've ever seen before. I receive a video game console known as the Nintendo 64. Come on, somebody. This is unlike anything else because if you've played Mario, you've seen him in two dimensions running across the screen, but now he is in three dimensions, 3D, everybody, completely unlike anything else. Holy. I think about in 2004, I'm a junior in high school, and I'm walking into one of the greatest food establishments of all time, Taco Bell. Uh, how many of you guys know that that was on our prayer list of needs to have Taco Bell in the community before we moved here, right? Okay, yeah, that's on my list. Okay, judge me, right? Anyway, I walk into Taco Bell in 2004, and there is a brand new beverage option, a new flavor of Mountain Dew, and it is called Baja Blast. Come on, somebody! If you've tasted it, then you know it is unlike anything else. Can I preach this morning? Hey, uh, Jermaine Bell, Sarah's husband, posted this on social media yesterday. He shared this, that Taco Bell actually will do a wedding for $600. They'll cater. They put Baja Blast into wine glasses. Hey, you better know your pastor will officiate that wedding. Come on, somebody. I will do it on the cheap. Completely unlike anything else, right? When I think about holy, once again, my mind, when I think about things that are unlike anything else, these are positive things I think about and reflect on. It's like, I've never experienced anything like that before. We all have these experiences for our life. We know it when we sense it. We understand it. So we're going to look into the scriptures. We're going to look and, and try to figure this out. What is God saying is holy? What does that mean for us? What are the implications for us, we're going to look this morning into the Word of God, also known as the Holy Bible, right? Because I believe this, the Word of God is unlike anything else. It's not just words on a page. It's not just like a book on the shelf, but it's a collection of books that when they are deposited into our hearts and our lives, they make a massive and transformational difference. So this morning, we're going to look into this Holy Scripture, and we're going to look at First Peter. I had you guys turn there, but first, before we even dive into that, like, who's Peter, right? Because not all of us are familiar or familiar with the biblical narrative of, like, what's going on here? So Peter, this guy, is writing this letter to churches, encouraging them. He's faced a lot of persecution in his life. And once again, who is Peter? Well, Peter is one of the apostles. He's this follower. He's one of the leaders of the early church. But here's the great thing is this guy did not have it all together. This guy was scrappy, right? This is the guy um, who was a fisherman, and he was low on the honor scale, like, you were high on the honor scale during the ancient Near East and like kind of some of these times if you were like a scholar, right? This guy's a fisherman. Like this guy's low on the honor scale, like considered to be like anonymous, a nobody, right? This is the guy that Jesus invited to walk on water. This is the guy that chopped off a soldier's ear when people tried to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's like, yeah, what? Bam! Chops off the ear. You know what I'm saying? Like, who is this guy, right? This is the guy that denied Jesus three times even though he said he never would. <laughs> like kind of a fan of Peter, you know? This guy's making a lot of mistakes, but this is the mind-blowing thing about it. He was one of the main leaders of the early church. 
God used this guy in a big way. And I think that's a message for all of us this morning. Come on. We might have disqualified ourselves, but God hasn't disqualified you yet. His, his grace wants to empower you to do big things. You might be scrappy. You might have made mistakes. You might have a past. You might have this or that. You might be ongoingly making mistakes, but God wants to still use you in the midst of the mess of your life. Amen. And the same way that he uses Peter. Peter wasn't anything great, but how many of you guys know Jesus made him completely unlike anything else? So, so far in 1 Peter, we're going to be jumping into verse 13. The first 12 verses leading up to what we're about to read is Peter's just reminding Christians during this time, there's, there's persecution happening. And he's just reminding them about the, the main things. Let's keep the main things, the plain things. You're facing things, hurdles, obstacles right in front of you today. But the big picture says there's a hope for, a, for something to come. This, there might be suffering experienced in this life, but there's a life to come that Jesus has promised as a gift where there will be no more suffering. So he's encouraging these people that are struggling, right? So we pick up in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, and it says this. It says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Okay, well, what do we mean when the scriptures say, be holy because I am holy? And, and one of the pertainable things to Peter's audience is he was not only writing to the Gentiles, those people that were on the outside of God's grace during this time, but he was also writing to Jewish people, people that knew the Hebrew Bible as their scripture, and he was making a reference. He was quoting something that existed in the Hebrew Bible to make an application point and to make a point of the holiness that exists and how we're supposed to define that in, in our living today. So I want us to back up a little bit and figure out, okay, where was this quoted? What was this verse that Peter's quoting talking about this topic of holiness unlike anything else? And why is he quoting that particular scripture? I think it will help us this morning. It says this in Leviticus chapter 11, starting with verse 41 through 47. Every creature that moves along the ground is to be regarded as unclean. It is to not be eaten. Now, before we continue, now God's, God's design for the way that he designed his people during this time in human history was I'm going to make them distinct by certain traits and trademarks, which was very common for, for the cultural differences that existed throughout the Middle East during this time. One of those being, I'm going to have you be a specific people that does not has dietary food laws. So that's what God's doing. He's laying out the dietary food laws, and he, he's basically saying, okay, here's what you can and can't eat, because if you eat certain things, you will be deemed as unclean. So we pick up, once again, at verse 42 of Leviticus 11, it says, you are not to eat any creature that moves along the ground. Whether it moves on its belly or walks on all fours or on many feet, it is unclean. Do not defile yourselves by any of these creatures. Do not make yourselves unclean by means of them or be made unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves. And here it is. Be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore... Be holy because I am holy. Okay, this is where Peter's quoting it from, right? These are the regulations concerning animals, birds, every living thing that moves about in the water and every creature that moves along the ground. You must distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between living creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. 
See, God was making them distinct, unlike any other nation. He was setting up the boundaries for the people of God during this time. But how many guys know when Jesus comes, Jesus brings back in the focal point and the direction of what God was redeeming us back to, gives us and breaks down these barriers that existed between God and Israel, now it's God and humanity. Israel was being used and prepared to be the expansion of what God promised for all of humanity. So holiness transitioned from being all about, like, what do I eat into how do I live my life? See, when we begin to live as Christians, that becomes the witness that Jesus desired, saying, I'm the solution. Now live a life like I have lived to bring and help bring the solution to a world that is broken, right? I truly believe one of the best and most powerful, not the best, but I, I believe one of the most powerful sermons we can preach against Jesus is how we live our lives. When we're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I throw the title around. I bear the name of God. And then our life gives a proof to people of like, why? I see you living in a way where you're joining in with everybody else, so what's the point? One of the most powerful sermons we can preach is about what we don't do and how that preaches against the powerful name and person of Jesus. But he's called us to be people that are unlike anything else. So this morning, what are the things that keep us from being the distinct, holy unlike anything else, people who represent God. So we're going to look at four quick practical obstacles that I believe can kind of translate to our day and age in 2019 and how we live our lives and some of the obstacles that are at stake. And we're going to, the first two we're going to look at are very public because we, how many of you guys know this? Like you live many times publicly with people. You project something to others on a more public scale but then we have the moments where no one else is around, where it's just us. And those moments create obstacles to get in our way of living like people that are unlike anything else. So number one, as we get started this morning, is the first obstacle. And the obstacle is this, a phrase. Everyone else is doing it. Kind of keeping up with the Joneses, right? Kind of like whatever is popular, like I'm going to jump in with that. But here's what's interesting. The Levitical law, we looked at Leviticus 11, chapter 11, and specifically verse 43. Let's look at this again. It says, do not defile yourselves by any of these creatures. Do not make yourselves unclean by means of them or be made unclean by them. Meaning this is that God was so protective of his people. He's like, hey, like, it's not going to only be like unclean when you digest something that you're not supposed to digest. It's going to be actually unclean when you even just brush up against it. You will be deemed unclean not only when you actually consume something, but actually when you get up close and you're kind of rubbing shoulders with it. And God contextually gives us this verse for us to understand in rightful living today because the bottom line is this, you guys. Many of us struggle with our own personal boundaries. You know, I think about horrible situations that we, we many times find ourselves in, and we flirt with disaster Many times we don't understand how we got into situation Z, but we haven't digested and understood that Z is a reality because there was a compromise from A to B. 
There was a small compromise from B to C all the way down to the, from the alphabet into a horrible situation where we're like filled with regret and we just asked the question of like, how did I get here? Happily married doesn't jump overnight to awful divorce. Doesn't. There's, there's, there's small compromises along the way. Single doesn't jump to dating a sleazeball overnight. There's, there's compromises along the way. There's little decisions. We get overwhelmed with the big picture, but it's interesting. There's small things that sometimes tempt us. Clean and so sober doesn't jump to addicted and strung out overnight. Doesn't. See, many times for us, boundaries become the biggest issue because we get so overwhelmed with, I've made a mistake, how did I get here? But it's typically because there haven't been solid boundaries that have been able to keep us in a place where it's not what everyone else is doing, but it becomes, hey, what are the principles for my own life? I truly believe this this morning. In order to live like people that are, live unlike anyone else, we have to be people that come to terms with the power that is in that we actually have control of, which is the power that's in our own ha hands, which means this, is that the first person that we need to lead in our life that if we don't becomes an obstacle is we need to lead ourselves. We got to own that. You know, when I think about the church, the church many times is painted in a picture where it's like the church is trying to police what everyone else is doing. And I think that's fair in many cases. And I would just challenge us this morning that institutionally we will not be a, a people or a church that tries to police what everybody else is doing, but we're going to make a commitment that first and foremost, we're going to lead ourselves. We're not going to compromise our values and just do what everyone else is doing just because everyone else is doing it. But we would actually build the backbone in our lives of saying, I have boundaries and I can relate to other people, but I can actually develop myself, the character within myself where I actually become a good friend to somebody else. I mean, you know, there's just tons and tons of bad friends out there. People that actually don't want to pull you in the direction towards the grace, the love, and the boundaries that God has designed for our life. And actually, they want to pull you in a direction away from those things. They want to pull you towards Z, then helping you unravel the brokenness of how A got to Z, right? But here's what I know. When we become people that learn to lead ourselves, learn to have great boundaries around the things that can sometimes burn our lives that we become great friends ourselves to other people that are experiencing similar circumstances. But first, we got to start to lead ourselves. We have to set our own healthy boundaries around our own lives. Amen? And it will give us a capacity to live like no one else is living. Obstacle number two is two, two big words this morning. Social media. Social media. Proverbs 20.11 says this. Even small children are known by their actions, so is their conduct really pure and upright? Church people! Church people! Come on. If there, is, if there is a proof of how we can live like, unlike anyone else in our day and age, it's by not giving in to the temptations that exist on a platform called social media. You know... Did you know, I love the wisdom of the writer of Proverbs in reminding us that as people, guess what? We don't live above this thing called perception. Perception is real. Perception affects the way that people think about you. The Bible actually says having a great reputation is greater than having a fat bank account. Isn't that interesting? There's, there, there's so much to be said about our perception and our reputation 
And for whatever reason, this becomes an obstacle for us to jump in to two sides, to a division that exists and is fueled to be like everyone else. But how many of you guys know we have an option in the technology we've been given and blessed with in 2019 to be unlike anyone else? Social media plays a part of that. It counts. Because these are real people. It counts. These are real interactions. It's so interesting. We think about church many times. We think about Facebook Live. You know, we've been participating in Facebook Live. And, like, people sometimes are like, well, that stuff doesn't count. That's, that counts. Those are real people connecting in the same way you are, sitting in seats this morning. Right? This counts. But unfortunately, we can many times brush off and put off and project an image that represents gospels other than the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of politics does not look good on the solution that's actually going to bring healing and peace to the world. But what are we known by? I want to challenge us this morning. What if our social media became a platform to encourage and push people in the right direction? What if we began to think about how we can use social media unlike anyone else, where the things that they're gleaning from our feed pushes them towards the beauty, the power, the love, and the grace of Jesus rather than plays into the fire of division, which is so common and like everyone? What if we chose to take a posture in a practical way, even in a social platform such as social media? How much of a difference could we make as we strive to be people that publicly live in a holy, unlike anything else manner. So this morning, public holy living, how can we define that? I think a great definition is this, being an encouragement to all those around you that is unlike anything else. How are we using the power God's given us individually to being encouragers, to push people in the right direction? You know, a lot of us Oklahoma people uh, are still a little bit upset at this gentleman, but um, I'll never forget Kevin Durant's MVP speech. You know, he was on our team when he gave the speech, so hey, we're in tune with this, you know what I mean? We haven't fully forgiven him yet, but God's working on our hearts. Okay, let's just, okay, we're good, right? This was the speech, I don't know if you guys remember this, it was so memorable, because this was the, you the real MVP, and he said it to his mom, right? Like, his mom was the real MVP, even though he received the MVP award, but I'll never forget the speech, like, it's so memorable, and I remember watching the whole speech, and he, there was so much emotion, I remember the media just making a big deal about, oh, so emotional, right? Like, he took time to just, like, isolate each and every one of his teammates and just highlight them and talk about how they're the reason that he even has the platform that he has. It was distinct because he used this platform, and he used it in a way to inspire and encourage others, which is why it's become a part of our culture, the you to real MVP. It's memorable. It made a mark on people because of its beauty. But in the same way, we have the power in our own hands. We don't have to delegate power and worry about what everybody else is doing, but within our own hands, we have the public power of leading holy, unlike anything else type of lives to push people and encourage people in the right direction, in the direction of Jesus, his power, and his kingdom. So let's move into obstacle number three, and we're going to be moving into the private life, right? Because how many guys know that it's easy to put on a church facade? It just is. You could show up Sundays wearing a mask every week, the mask that you want others to portray, 
The one that says, I want, I want you to think I'm like this. I want you to think I worship like this and I got it all together. You can so easily, we do this many times in our culture. Social media helps us. I'm going to just basically create an Instagram where you just believe that this is my life. It is great. We could do the same thing. Church people, we are so good at this. So what are the obstacles that navigate down to the, the times when, when no one else is around? What does is, what is holy, unlike anything else, living look like when no one's there to project anything to? And obstacle number three, I believe, is this, is, is, is motives. Motives. Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24 says, Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them? declares the Lord. Do not I feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord. So I love what, what God's declaring about himself in the book of Jeremiah. Basically like, hey, you, you can't hide from me. I think about the Garden of Eden, right? The first thing when like shame and sin enters the world is like, humans, what do they do? They try to cover up. They try to hide from God. And God's like, yo, I see you, right? Like, you're right there. Like, I'm big. I'm God. But because of sin and the shame, they're like, everybody, they're trying to cover up, right? And we do this many times. We, like, get into this mindset and this belief that we can hide from God. But how many of you guys know God sees everything? I like when I meet people and I tell them I'm a pastor and they're like, oh, you know, they're like, oh, sorry, I said the F word. And it's like, yo, like, why, why is it on me? Because I believe there's a real God who wants to have a real encounter with you that saw the F word. So why am I the mediator? Let's be real. With one another, let's be real people. Let's have real relationship. And there's a real God who wants to meet you. But many times we don't view this this way because we have motives that are built out of the approval of people rather than out of approval on God. Here's what I know as a living, breathing human being. I as a human am going to disappoint you. You as human beings and peers are going to disappoint me and one another. In the past three years since I've become, Kelly and I've become the pastors, I've disappointed a lot of people. Thankful we are a church that is built upon Jesus and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Not a church built on the pastor. But when we want to be impressed by the pastor and motivated by the pastor and the pastor and the people don't meet our needs, we leave and we're disappointed and we're angry and we don't feel like we've gotten what we've needed. The motives need to change. We have to be motivated by the audience of Jesus and him alone. We cannot live in a place of the guilt of why we serve. When we don't have good personal boundaries and we choose to literally live by guilt, we get ourselves into some really unhelpful situations where typically we become really, really grumpy and we're not even a help there in the first place then. But once again, when we instill personal boundaries in our life, when we understand that the motivation of why we do what we do is not built on the approval of anybody else other than the fact that we want to give Jesus glory, things become a lot more clear into understanding what it means to live in a way unlike anyone else because we live in a world built on many times the motivation and the approval broken human beings. Who are we trying to impress? Looking for the approval of Jesus. Doing something simply because you have a love for Jesus. You know, you personally will give an account to Jesus someday. 
not your parents, not your brother, not your sister, not your spouse, not your pastor. Pastors don't stand in front of the line and say, well, here's my congregation. Now judge them based upon what I've done. No. That's you. That's your faith. That's your life. That's your motivation that you're going to have to give account for. But it many times creates an obstacle for how we live our lives in a practical and unlike anything else type of way when no one else is looking. That's something we have to come to terms with between us and Jesus. And lastly, as we, as we close and we finish up this morning, the last obstacle is, is an interesting one. It's called time. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5 and the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church in Ephesus and he's encouraging the church to live as, as, as lights in the world, as, as, like what Jesus said, being the salt of the earth. And in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. This is what's so amazing about time. We all have the same amount. In a day, there's 24 hours that we have to steward and figure out what we're going to do with. Now, how long we live, that's in the Lord's hands. But on a scale, in terms of what we're given in any given day, it's the same for everybody. Which means this. Everyone has the same amount of time to build excuses for why they're not doing what they should be doing. Excuses devalue the fact that everyone else has 24 hours in the day. But some people are figuring it out. It's so interesting when we think about a scale that equates to everyone. But we have just the same opportunity to create an unlimited list of excuses. But here's what I'll say. How you spend your time becomes one of the greatest proofs of what your values truly are. You can have the greatest values in the world. We have values as a church, right? We can just post those up on our website. And if they're not actually felt when people walk in the room, it doesn't matter. They're just empty values. Values are actually felt within the culture of who we are and how we live our lives. And how we live our days out will really begin to show what someone's values truly are. I updated my iPhone several weeks ago, and it updated to a new iOS. Um, and if you're familiar with iPhone, right, it's like software iterations, you're constantly updating. Well, they updated it, and this new feature on iPhones is basically called your weekly screen time report. Anybody else get this and feel really judged, right? Basically, you're just getting called out on the amount of time you spent on your phone over the past week. And like literally the first time I got it, I like was like, I got to get face down before the Lord and repent, right? Because it's calling you out. It's like, this is how much time you're spending on social media. This is how much time you're doing this on the phone. This is, you know, it's like the time I actually was on the phone talking to people was dwarfed by the time I was browsing the internet, reading random stuff, right? But isn't that so interesting? Apple created that to identify healthy rhythms in our life because sometimes we become so robotic that we don't even know. We get so caught up in rhythm of what has to get done that we create excuses of why we're not prioritizing the things that we're saying matter. We're saying I love Jesus on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday look like a mess that's filled with nothing where we're living out our faith. 
If we need and want to be holy people, we have to prioritize our time. And our time is limited. And we live on a time in human history where unexpectedly any of us could be taken out at any moment. That's not our call. So how are we living our lives today? How are we making a deep impact on other people? And first and foremost, in our private time, how are we connecting with the God who informs who we are from the inside out? So that when we live a life that projects to others, it's not built on a facade, but it's built and rooted in the depth of who Jesus calls us to be as his children, as redeemed people. Not over the lies that the enemy has spoken over us, but out of the depth and the intimacy of who Jesus is in our life. What if we got that weekly screen report email for our dedication to Jesus? What would that look like for each and every one of us? That's scary to think about. What if we were given a report on how often we're falling face down before the Lord on a week? We're diving into his scripture. We're doing this, we're doing out. The two hours, the hour that we spend on church on a Sunday would be dwarfed in terms of the priority of where we place everything else in our time. Time becomes such a massive obstacle in terms of living unlike anyone else. Private holy living. How do we define that this morning? I think it's best defined as an unlike anything else, abundant life that is dependent on Jesus. We're going we're gonna to close this morning, but as we do that, I have one, one last scripture that I want us to kind of land on. And it's 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 16 that will be up on the screen. And it says this, it says, God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. I love that. The spirit of God being deposited into our lives is a promise that we got God wherever we go. We got relationship. It says, furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. A lot of love in this relationship. But have you, ever, have you ever met somebody in your life who you got really, really excited to meet? I'll never forget, I was at Disneyland, the holy theme park, right? We've already established that. And I was in line, this is in college, and I was with some of my uh, college uh, like friends, dorm friends and everything else. And, and we were in line uh, at Disneyland for whatever reason outside of the park getting tickets or like a season pass for one of the guys. And uh, I remember I was like, oh my gosh, like, I saw somebody in front of me and I was like, is that, you know, you know what that looks like? I figured out, I was like, standing in front of us in line was Ryan Gosling. Anybody? The, the Notebook, right? Most, more recently, First Man, the movie, right? Neil Armstrong, he plays. I was like, oh, you guys, like, that's Ryan. By the time I turned around to go tell my buddy, like, that's Ryan Gosling. One of my other buddies was already, like, tapping on his shoulder, like, hey, hey, it's Ryan Gosling. Are you Ryan Gosling? Right? You know, like, oh, the celebrity. And I remember we were, like, all of us were just, like, giddy, like, 10-year-old girls just, like, having a sleepover, like, oh. Like, after, we, we stayed calm and cool and collected, right? Like, when it was going on, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And we, we, we were so cool that we didn't take a picture. So we ended up taking a picture without him acting like he was with us, right? Because we had to, like, document the fact that we met Ryan Gosling, you know? We got back to campus, like, oh, my God, you're not going to believe this, you guys. We met Ryan Gosling, you know? We were so excited, so impressed. So pumped up that we met this celebrity, this, this person that we've, we've seen in the movies, we've placed on the pedestal. 
But how do you guys know we have relationship with a man who is fully God, who came, served, downplayed his life, came to this earth, filled himself with divinity, understanding that he is God, but filled himself with humanity, came to be with us, and we have opportunity to have relationship with that God each and every moment of our day. Are we excited about that? Are we passionate about that? Do we understand who we have access to each and every day? We get so much more excited about the people that we've placed on pedestals and understanding there is a God who chose to humble himself, not to be big and Hollywood glamorous, but came and served in the most humble way to do the most massive, powerful thing that the earth actually needs to be redeemed. Are we making it a priority to spend time with that God? Are we making it a priority to have a relationship with that unlike anything else God this morning? So on this Palm Sunday, in the same way that Jesus entered Jerusalem, he entered into his geography. I truly believe this. Jesus is constantly knocking on the geography of our heart and our soul. But are we willing to let him in? Are we willing to get rid of the obstacles so that we can continue to welcome him into our life, transforming us, changing us into the likeness more and more of himself? Amen? Let's pray this morning.